Let me pray with us one more time, and we want to open up to Mark after that and get into the Word. Father, we come to you, and that's not always easy. Sometimes it's hard. But Lord, we come to you this morning needing your word. Maybe we don't even realize how much we need it. So Lord, be here with us, we ask. Amen. You know, every, every Christian, every, everybody has probably experienced this journey and this, this time with the Lord. Life is really about mountaintops and valleys, Right? Um, and, and it truly is the Christian experience to, to be on the mountaintop at certain times, but also be in the valley at certain times. There's definitely no doubt that we will encounter things in our life that are ups and downs, right? But the mountaintops, maybe it's the job promotions, maybe it's the marriages and new beginnings. There's growth of families and seeing children being born. Maybe there's times away on a mission trip or times that you've been at a retreat or a conference where you just, you see God clearly moving. And it's like you, you get to taste in that moment the abundance of his presence. It's like being on the mountaintop with him. Austin kind of shared about that mountaintop experience when Jesus was transfigured and you get to see a glimpse of what's coming. And we have those moments, don't we, in our life, those mountaintop experiences. But the reality, though, the reality is, is we always come back down that mountain. And much of our journey as followers, as disciples, exists in the valleys, the failings and the firings maybe from work, the broken marriages ending with divorce, the loss of children and grandchildren, bodies riddled with disease and cancer, friends and family maybe that walk away from faith and belief. We live many of our days in the valley. So how is it that we're gonna be encouraged by this? Why should we be encouraged? How do we have a hope in Jesus when we're in the valley, when things are rocky and difficult? We're going to be in Mark chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 14 all the way through 29, and we see this story, this unfolding as Jesus and the disciples come down the Mount of Transfiguration, and we see I think there's some practical things that God is calling us to pull out of the word this morning of, how do we do that? How can we be encouraged when we're in the valley? So verse 14, pick up with me there. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him talking about Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, Jesus, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples, cast it out. And they were not able. And he answered them, Jesus answers them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you. Bring him to me. 
And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose And when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. That is God's incredible word. So first thing, I want to draw out four things for you from this. Four things. So you can keep track. Maybe you can write down some notes. Uh, I'm a note taker. The first thing that, that sticks out is the moment amazed. They're not, they're not just kind of caught off guard. They're greatly amazed to see Jesus coming down the mountain and into the valley. Now, there's a couple of reasons for this, and, and it's kind of disputed. Why would they have been amazed? So some people say, well, Jesus was up on the mountain and Obviously, God was there. There were some important people. There had to be some shining and some glowing going on, right? We remember Moses in the Old Testament. He comes down. Dude looked like a a nightlight on crack. Um, That's not biblical, but... um, So some people think, well, Jesus must have been glowing. There must have been this light radiating from him. But most commentaries kind of disagree with that. That's not really the reason. Some say maybe it was to contrast the wonder and the disciples' slow recognition of what was going on. I have a suggestion for you, though. My suggestion, though Jesus is God and king and deserves the throne above every throne and is going to show up on the mountaintop experiences, my suggestion to you is that they were amazed is because everybody expects Jesus to be up on the mountain. We're amazed when he shows up in the valley. We're amazed when he shows up in the low points of life, in utter dis- despair and lacking all belief in the moment Jesus shows up. No one expects the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to walk among the people. And that's surprising enough. But not only does he walk among the people in the valley, he knows their toil. He knows their problems. And yet he comes down from that mountain, not just to show up, but to serve, to love, to heal, to encourage belief. It's in the app if you want to look, but you can turn with me too to Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Scripture shows this so we can trust the fact that, you know, it's not just this story that we see Jesus walking down the mountain. He's going to show up in the valley. We can trust that he's going to be in our valley. He's going to show up at our lowest points. And it says this, picking up at verse 6 in Philippians 2. 
who, talking about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped. We can't understand what that means, that he was God in heaven and he came down. Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So we can understand why they were greatly amazed. Maybe they didn't even fully understand yet how Jesus was going to show up in their life and what he was going to do. And let me tell you, sometimes we're not going to understand what all is going on when we are at the lowest point of things going on. But we can trust and we can be greatly amazed because Jesus is going to show up. He's going to be in the valley. The next thing we see is Jesus kind of going on back in Mark, verse 17. It said, and someone from the crowd answered him. Jesus had asked what's going on. We read, someone answered, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered him, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. All right, that stings a little bit, right? I mean, if you, he's talking to the disciples here when he talks about, oh, faithless generation. He's dealing with the people that have been following after him, right? These disciples have seen him heal. These disciples have seen him multiply bread and fish. They have seen him conduct all these miracles. And yet when he leaves them alone for a little bit, all they have to do is trust. And then there's still this struggle. There's still this lack of faith. And he looks right at him and he goes, oh, faithless generation. Because there was this, this moment of immense rattling There was an expectation that the boy would be healed, that all that was needed was to bring the boy to Jesus or his disciples and all would be well. The father's faith was rattled. Even we see that the disciples' faith was rattled. There was a struggle for belief in the moment. So here's the sting for us, though. You're not going to get away with all of us having our our toes stepped on just a little bit this morning. Here's the sting, though. How often, though, have we shown up with this expectation of how our life should be mended, how our life should be cared for, our concerns, how we should be saved, whatever it is. You fill in the blank of how we show up to Jesus, and then it doesn't go how we expect it to. How rattled our faith becomes when we don't see what we think. Right, and in those moments, I don't know, maybe you're like me, but I tend to shift the blame, right? I showed up here 
Lord Jesus, I'm here, right? I'm with your disciples. I'm doing these things. I know you've done incredible things, but not for me. So I start to blame Jesus, right? Or I start to rationalize what he's doing. Well, maybe, maybe for me, maybe in this instance, I don't deserve this. Maybe my sin's gotten so much in the way, there's no way he can deal with me in this. He'll take care of other people in this situation, but he can't possibly show up in the valley for me. Or we start to think that, well, maybe God's not as powerful as he claims to be. Or maybe God's not quite as concerned about my life as he says he is. Or even worse, maybe God doesn't quite love me like Scripture says he loves me. See, because people look at the disciples, they think, all I got to do is bring them there, right? He had given the disciples the power to command demons, to heal them, to anoint with oil. We see that in Mark chapter 6. But here's the point. If you call yourself a disciple, a follower, we need to understand this. Yes, we are given the Holy Spirit as a gift, as a guide, But without relationship, without intentional dependence, we look as if we're faithless. We look as if there's no belief at all. That connection must continually be maintained and renewed. Because often, often we are going to have to learn and relearn the same lesson. Right? We learn that a lot. Look, if you have children, you understand this well. Time and time again, you teach them the same lesson, don't you? You tell them the same thing. Look, all the parents got this smirk on their face, right? Or you might even have a name of your child in your brain. Mine's Titus. If you know my son Titus, you're smiling too. There are times I would like to lose my mind because of that child. There is much bearing that goes on. I love him to death, but man, I say some of the same things, and man, you can discipline him, man, and he will come, and he will apologize. Daddy, I'm so sorry. I love you. And he turns around and clocks one of his brothers. (laughs) I'm like, bro, we just talked about this. It's like, I know. I'm here for your sanctification, Dad. Uh huh. I'm gonna be here for his. Right? But there's much bearing with him. You, you understand that. And so sometimes we don't like that Jesus says, look, I'm bearing with you. But look, we bear with our kids sometimes. We bear through the struggle. And he's looking at us and he goes, look, I am. I am. I'm bearing with the fact that you don't believe right now. I'm bearing with you that there's struggle right now. See, and time and time again, man, he's revealed what to do. He has healed. He has shown how to rely on the Father, and yet we, we, still, we still lack, and we have to keep learning and relearning and relearning Look, recognize this, man. Jesus told the truth of their faith. We live in a soft culture. We're soft. We're soft. 
Let's be real. Let's just put this honest. We're honest space. Usually the honest space is in Donna's office because if you know Donna, she's very honest. It just extended into the sanctuary. We like to focus on the negative. I know I do. I certainly focus on the negative. But Jesus told the truth. He told the truth about their faith, but we need to recognize one thing. He didn't just drop the truth on them and then walk away and go, man, you don't believe. I can't do anything here. You don't believe. You're a faithless generation. I can't do anything with these disciples. No, he stayed right there and he pushed in that moment. He told the truth and then he pushed for maturity. He said, it's time to grow. And when things get difficult and things start to struggle in the valley, yes, he's going to tell you some honest things about your heart. He's going to tell me some hard things about my faith. He's going, and I'm not going anywhere. Just because I tell you the truth doesn't mean I'm giving up on you. Actually, I'm stepping in and I'm going to push you to grow. And he was pushing them to grow up a little bit. So I ask you a hard question. Where in your life is Jesus telling you the truth? Where is it that he has shown you how you need to live, just like he did with the disciples, but yet you're not? You're not walking in the way that he's called you to. You got to deal with hard questions because it's a push to grow right now. I don't like those questions, but man, sometimes he comes right at me. Todd, you lack faith here, and I'm going to push you right now. And he just pushes it down. I'm going to push you to grow. And I'm not going anywhere while I do it. So next we see, oh my gosh, I love, I love this part of the story. I love what happened here. Right, The father explains what go, is going on. Jesus lays out some truth for him. But look, the father comes to him. In verse 23, he says, Look, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, I love this, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said to him, Oh my gosh, this is me. Maybe this is you. I believe. Help my unbelief. What a beautiful moment of honesty. You may not think so. Maybe you're thinking, how's that beautiful? <laughs> Did we just not read that he admitted he doesn't, he's struggling with belief? There's unbelief there? This father vocalizes the struggle of faith. The reality is, is that faith waxes and wanes. It just does. I mean, faith is going to be up high when we're on the mountains, and it's going to be down low when we're in the valleys. Dr. R.C. Sproul says this. I think it explains it well. Every Christian reading this book has some level of authentic saving faith in his or her heart. However, the intensity of that faith is not constant. It waxes and wanes. It increases and diminishes. No matter how strong your faith is, there are moments in this life when it is assaulted by the enemy. Sometimes it can seem as if your faith is barely hanging on and you make a prayer much like this man made to Jesus, I believe, but my belief is not perfect. It is not pure. It is not strong. 
I need help. Help me with my unbelief. I mean, how many times have you, just like me, like this father, stood believing but struggling with doubt? Look, look, Jesus, I know faith like a mustard seed and the mountain will move. But Jesus, the mountain ain't moving. My faith must be smaller than a mustard seed because I don't see anything happening. Yes, I know, Jesus, that in my weakness you are strong. But I still only feel crippled with weakness. So how do we respond to that? What do we do when we're standing in front of Jesus going, look, I believe, but help my unbelief. Let me just suggest something to you. So often, so often in those moments of struggle, distance occurs. We don't think that there's anything that Jesus can do with us. There's nothing that God could possibly do. I just have unbelief. But I think this father, he models perfectly what we're called to do. Instead of walking up to Jesus, or walking away from Jesus, rather, he helps, help my unbelief. He cries out to him. See, the father stayed close to the only source that could do anything with his unbelief. Jesus is the only source that can fix unbelief. Jesus is the only source that can fix struggle, not distance from him, not any other source. Sproul makes another practical point clear, so I'm going to use his words. When you are assaulted with doubts and your faith seems frail, go to the source of faith. The Word of God. There is no time in my life when my faith is stronger than when I am immersed in God's Word or in prayer. Staying close to the Word, listening to the promises of our Redeemer, and opening my heart to Him are the things that kill unbelief and build a powerful faith that does not let me down in the midst of my afflictions. Everybody has struggles. Where are you going to go with unbelief? Let me share this quick story with you. I wasn't going to share this. Some of you know a little bit, and I know that some of you have way harder lives than I can ever imagine or ever experience. I write down prayers occasionally, but that's uh, really because I have so many concussions. It's really hard for me to remember. Um, one person laughed at that. That's awesome. Um, but, but I, I write them down because, honestly, I, I want to remember, what was I praying for years ago? What, it, it's so good to build that faith. And so I was looking through an old notebook, and, and I, I came across this long letter, this prayer, just praying to the Lord. And we had, we had just had Titus uh, a year earlier, and Ashley and I, my wife, we were debating on, look, you know, we said three or four kids, but four, you know, three is a lot, but four, like, that's where you start to cross the line into crazy. And, um, and so we just decided that, look, we were just going to be, be praying and seeking the Lord in that. And my prayer was, Lord, if this is your will that, that we, we pursue a fourth child, then I know that you'll, you'll place that desire in my heart and I won't be able to do anything with it, but that desire will be there. And I remember I read this prayer and I was just praying that honestly, I still had that desire. 
That was in 2016. Last year, we, we started, um, we, were, we were both ready. Ashley gets pregnant. She miscarries. My unbelief. I prayed this, you gave me this desire, and then you just, you rip it away? It took time, worked through it, like, okay, maybe, maybe we're not. But then that desire was still there, that, that prayer was still just kind of, just written on the page, I couldn't get, it, get away from it. So we said, look, all right, one more shot, right? So we're blessed again. She gets pregnant again. Another miscarriage. Okay. Why? Why do this? And this is the result. My faith doesn't seem to be growing when you hit me with these hard things. God's going, I'm pushing you to grow. I am pushing you to trust me. Don't you dare rely on any other source but me. I'm all you've got. So we thought, all right. (laughs) I'm going to rely on you. I'm going to trust you. But I think we're done here. We get the message. Three kids it is. And then months later, I just... We just couldn't get away from what we knew we were called to. Ashley is pregnant again, and if you've seen her, she's super pregnant right now. And I can't even explain to you the fear. wife sends me a message and it was a video of heartbeat and the Lord so kindly whispered is reading about Eve and the loss of her sons and then Seth comes and he was this provision And God just quietly whispered, here's your provision. I know there's plenty of you with stories far harder than mine. You have to trust him. You have to cry out, help my unbelief. the last point. Here's the reality. Faith, faith is fortified in the valley. 
You can question, why doesn't my faith feel like it's stronger because the valley I've been in? And whose strength are you relying? Disciples asked the same question, why, why could we not cast out that demon? And he said, this kind is only driven out by anything but prayer. It's easy to have a fortified faith up on the mountain. It's easy easy when Jesus is glowing in your life and you have such a clear depiction of who he is as Savior and King. It's easy on the mountain to have that rock-solid faith. The challenge comes in the valleys. See, because on the mountain, there's nothing that distracts us from who Jesus is. In the valley, though, the danger... The danger comes with being distracted by self-reliance or in something that this broken world offers you. Our hope, our belief, and faith can be fortified in the valleys because of God's great love. Romans 5, 2 through 5 says this, through him... We have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Did you hear that? We rejoice in our sufferings. If he loves us, why would he bring these things into my life? Why would I have to experience this in the valley? We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. My hope is that we might understand God's love, but not just understand God's love, but understand it rightly. J.I. Packer explains, God's love is stern, for it expresses holiness in the lover and seeks holiness for the beloved. Scripture does not allow us to suppose that because God is love, we may look to him to confer happiness on people who will not seek holiness or to shield his loved ones from trouble. When he knows that they need trouble to further their sanctification. When we reach the end of our rope in the valley, we see that Christ is infinite. And his love for us to shape us and to grow us is worth far more than a notion. It is a belief that solidifies faith and is unshakable. This is the belief that Jesus encourages us with. Not a self-reliant belief. Not a belief in worldly things to get us by. Not a hopeless belief, but a belief that we can trust, that we have a Savior that at our absolute weakest, He gives life. Just like at the moment of absolute Weakness. They thought the boy was dead. They thought 
he was dead. There's going to be times in the valley where you think that you have been brought so low that your belief is dead. Jesus alone can pick up and speak life, just like he did for that little boy. Just like me, he does the same thing for you, and he will pick you up off of the ground, and he will speak life. So I'll leave you with this. What will you do with God's word today? Is there an action step for you? Is there something that God is saying you need to do and trust me here? Do you need to come to him with your unbelief and trust him with it? That's what we come to right now as communion. That's a time for you to maybe take that moment to pray. To pray whatever God's calling you to to deal with whatever valley maybe you're walking in. Man, and if you're up on a mountaintop right now, enjoy it. Praise him for it. And trust him when you head down the mountain. He's still going to be there. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Communion's also a time that we remember the sacrifice that he paid for us to encourage our faith, knowing he died for our sins. And he is in the valley with us. Let's pray. God, you never promised that there wouldn't be moments of rattling. You never promised that there wouldn't be trouble. Actually, you said otherwise, but we can be encouraged by this, that you will take those difficulties, you will take those low points, and we might not see it now, but you will breathe life into us if we're willing to trust you, to come to you. And Lord, that's what I pray this morning, that we would, that like that father, we would cry out in honesty when we don't believe and we are struggling because we know you're there. Amen. Come grab of the elements and have a seat. We will take them together.